Let's pray. Father, thank you for, um, again, today. Lord, I thank you for um, this church, uh, that is, uh, the people who are, are here today. Thank you for bringing us here, Lord. We are, are here this morning because this is where you would have us. And so for that, um, I praise you. And for that, I, I thank you. Lord, I pray that you would continue, um, God, to do what you do. Pray that you would continue to call many to salvation and, in fact, continue to save. That you would, Lord, I pray, save the lost among us. And then, and after you save, God, you would continue um, your sanctifying work. Jesus, it is my desire that we would, um, as we come to know you more, that we would love you more and that our lives would, would would reflect your love for us and our love for you more and more and that is that we would become in that more like you we thank you again lord for all that you have done for us and all that you will do we look forward father to approaching this or in this now this new year for for what you will do for your kingdom in us and through us we do love you and we praise you, and it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, I am, we are going to begin today a study in Acts. So I finished Third John a couple, I don't know when it was, uh, 1st of December. And so I was kind of praying about where, where to go and where I wanted to go, and I absolutely love Acts, and so I thought, you know, what a what a great place for us as a as a church to go. So today is going to be an introduction, uh, an introduction to Acts. Um, you know, in, in part, my my purpose. I want to give my purposes, if you will, for 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 why why Acts. Obviously, there's 66 right um, books in Scripture, and so why why Acts? Um, well, one is to glorify God, right? But I think we could do that with any any text, and and that's obviously our our ultimate desire, and 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 all that we do here as a church is to glorify God. But what is my, what is my purpose for you, for us? What do I want for us as, as a church in going through Acts? Part of it is this. Um, it's, it's putting most of what we have in the New Testament into a historical, chronological context. So the majority of Paul's letters uh, occur during this time frame. Randy's in Corinthians right now, I believe, first I'm looking for a head sec. First, Colossians. I'm sorry, Colossians. Why was I thinking Corinthians? Well, we're in Colossians right now, which was written at the end end of of the the Luke's history and Acts. But nonetheless, the founding of the the church at Colossae occurred during this this time frame, right? And and so again, it's it's to put the majority of of what we have again in the New Testament into into context, it gives us insight in, into the first century church. I mentioned this during the um, during the equipping hour, and I'll say it again. I want to guard against studying scripture um, in a historical, contextual, cultural vacuum. I tend to, when I study scripture, when I look at a passage of scripture, I tend to just at times isolate that passage from from the rest of scripture and approach it from a, a more of an intellectual standpoint, right? I'm aware of that, and, and so I, I try my best to, to guard uh, against that, and I want to guard you against that as well. It's easy to, to you know, pick up, uh, not next week, but the week after next there in, in Colossians 1 or 2, wherever we're at right now. I know we're at the beginning-ish, right? But it's, it's going to be easy to jump back in to that 
and and to forget about what was going on, right? I mean, Paul wrote Colossians in the mid '60s, right? '64-ish A.D. We know that he was in Rome. We know, you know, again. But it's it's easy to forget about those things and just to look at just that text and be like, all right, what is what does this have to do with me? Where am I at? Where, where you know? And I want to I want to guard against that. And so I think a study of Acts is is going to help us. One, as we study the rest of the New Testament, put everything um, into perspective as well as guard us against um, just at least over-intellectualizing uh, any given text. Um, another thing is, is, is Acts. Um, Acts chronicles the Great Commission lived out in the lives of the apostles and the early disciples. Right, what did what did Jesus say right before his ascension? Or one of the things that Jesus said right before his ascension, he said, Go ye therefore, didn't he? Right? Go ye go ye therefore into all the world, right? Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, making disciples. Go and preach the gospel, right? And as I save people, he says, Disciple them. That's what he tells them. And what do we see in Acts? We see that we see that coming to fruition. We see that happening in the lives of the apostles and the lives of the disciples. And so I think it's exciting. I think it's exciting to see the Great Commission or the fulfillment of the Great Commission commence. And so we see that and we have that in, in Acts. Um, you know, uh, I'm going to use again pick on Colossians because that's where Randy's at, right? The fact that we have a letter to the church at Colossae, right, is in part a result of the partial, if you will, fulfillment of the Great Commission. Jesus said, Jesus said, go, right? And so we have the early disciples and the early apostles that went. One of those men was, was martyred for his faith. And as he was martyred for this, his faith, another man heard the gospel clearly proclaimed, which I believe in part was instrumental to his salvation. And God then, having saved that man, used that man in part to take the gospel through him and through others to uh, 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 Colossian individuals who uh, thereby you know, uh, formed a church who one day he would write a letter to. Right, And so we see all of this this working in acts. And so, so that's, that's exciting for me to see that. I hope it's exciting for you. The other thing is this, is I'm just a history nerd. I, I really like history. Um, I, I think it's exciting. Um, you know, any given time, if, if, if you walk into my office and I have the TV on at home, uh, it's probably on either Discovery Channel or History Channel. Um, and so, so I just like history. And what better history do we have than God's history, right? The, the history of the first century church. And so it's, it's exciting and it excites me. And again, I hope it excites you. Now, as we work through X, one of the things I want to point out, which is going to be uh, very specific for this morning. So it, it's probably more going to be like a history lesson today for you. I'm, I'm, if you don't like history, I'm sorry. But it is exciting history, okay? Um, is... is at times, as, as we go through Acts, and I figure, I, I just gave a rough estimate. All right, so this is a rough estimate. I calculated it'll probably take me about five years to get through Acts. So based on preaching two, two Sundays a month and with an occasional Sunday where we deviate from, from Acts for, for certain reasons or whatever, um, it'll, it'll probably, you know, four to five, four to five years. So we've got something exciting to look forward to over the next 
four to five years, and that's that's working our way. Um, that's working our way through Acts. I'm I'm really excited about it. But sometimes, uh, you know, it's going to be somewhere between teaching and preaching, um, just due to the genre, the nature of Acts, which we'll look at in a, in a couple minutes here. But due to the genre of it, some of it's just going to be more like teaching, and we're talking about what was going on and where they were, and historically what was happening, and and how that affected them, and 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 whatnot, right? And so that's going to be more teaching. And then there's going to be other times when it's going to be straight normal preaching. Listen, I, I think that in Acts we have recorded some of the greatest sermons that we have in Scripture. Okay, and and I'm really excited to get to get to those points. Um, extremely excited. And so again, just depending on where we're where we're at in Acts and what we're working through is going to kind of dictate what that Sunday morning looks like. So sometimes it's going to be more like you know uh, a preaching exposition, and other times it's just going to be more like. Uh, you know, kind of teaching um, as, as we go through that text as well. So just to kind of give you an idea where, where we're going. And in about three years, you'll probably forget what I said this morning, so I won't hold it against you. But, but that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're looking at. So today what I'm going to do is I want to read through part of the prologue, and we're going to kind of use that just kind of as a launching point to give you background information uh, about the text. One of the things that as I've gone through, uh, and we did this uh, with, with the other books and letters that we've done, or I've done, um, uh, uh, as I've gone through James and, and Ruth and First, Second, Third John, as we've done this at the beginning of all of them, right, is just going through this background information to put all of it in place. Who wrote it? When did they write it? What was going on? What are some of the themes? And, and that's kind of what we're going to be doing with Acts this morning. But I'm going to read... Um, Verses 1 through 5, really the prologue for the most part extends through uh, 1 through 11. But I'm going to read 1 through 5 today. Next Sunday, I'm going to be preaching then through uh, verses 6 through 11, which has to do specifically with the ascension. I'm really excited about looking at that next week because there's some really rich stuff in there, especially in how it relates to Acts and the flow of the entire uh, book. But starting in verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, real quick, so you would think, all right, so he's dealing right now. Jesus says something about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which would be a good time to talk about what that is. Well, we're going to look at that here in a couple, well, it won't be next Sunday, but in a couple Sundays as I preach, once we get to the day of Pentecost and we actually get to the, 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 the coming, the first coming, if you will, uh, of the Holy Spirit, um, the, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit with the apostles and all that. So we'll look at that in time, okay? Okay. Um, so we're going to start um, with uh, concerning Acts. Who who wrote it, right? I think most of us know or believe we know, right, that the apostle, not the apostle, sorry, that Luke is the author of Acts. Now, it, it's pretty much universally accepted that that he wrote um, that he wrote Acts. We have both external, meaning outside of Scripture, evidence, and we have internal evidence that he was the author. Um, Listen, there was essentially universal agreement among the early church fathers that, that Luke was the author. And that's important to us, right? I mean, when we have these early church fathers that were only 100 years removed um, from when this would have been 
written, right? That's pretty good evidence that they would have not had firsthand knowledge, but but quite possibly second or third hand knowledge. Like I knew so and so who knew the apostle John who said that Luke wrote, you know, Acts or whatever the case might be. So we have um, Irenaeus, uh, 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 Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, Origen, uh, Eusebius, Jerome. Early church fathers all attesting to the fact that Luke was the author of Acts. Also, the Muratorian canon, uh, which was AD 70, so literally just 100 years later, one of the first uh, uh, canons of Scripture, um, again, cited Luke as as the author of Acts. So we have this this testimony of the early church and the early church fathers that Luke was the author, right? We do have some textual evidence for Luke as the author as well. And one of the reasons I wanted to read the first four verses today is the first verse kind of gives us a clue. Uh, it says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. The first book, what is he referring here? He's referring to the gospel of Luke. If you want to turn real quick to the gospel of Luke, chapter 1, I'm going to read verses one through four, the author says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seems good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, here we go, most excellent Theophilus, Theophilus uh, actually means lover of God, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So we see in, in the prologue of Acts and the prologue of, of, of Luke, there's this linking of the two texts. The individual who wrote Luke is the same individual who wrote Acts, right? We know they were written to the same individual, right? And we know that the two are written by the same, um, written to the same individual, and we know that they're written from the same individual, and we know that from Acts, because again, in Acts, he says, he says what? In the first book, referring to what we have as the Gospel of Luke, right? In the first book, O Theophilus, right? I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. We know that, right? The Gospel of Luke, right? Because it's specifically a gospel account of Jesus, his birth, his, his, his life, his death, his resurrection, okay? So we do have the linking of two texts. So we know that the author of Acts is the same author of Luke. Right. We also have in um, Acts what we call the we narratives. Starting in Acts chapter 16, we actually have it in 16, 20, and 27. We have first-person plural, and I'm just going to look at one of these to give you an example, okay? So let's go, um, let's go to Acts chapter 16. And Acts chapter 16, um, verse 10. So up until, up until this point, it's all um, written from a, a third-person perspective, okay? So here's what we know real quick. So the author... We believe is Luke. Luke, uh, the, the Gospel Luke. Luke wasn't an apostle. I said that earlier. I was wrong. It slipped out, right? But Luke wasn't an apostle, okay? Um, so where did Luke get his Gospel from, right? Well, we believe that in part he got it from Mark, right? Um, who Mark actually got from Peter, okay? As well as other eyewitnesses. He says that at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, right? I mean, I've, I've, I've compiled 
this account from various sources, from, from various eyewitnesses, okay? And so the Gospel of Luke is, is third person because Luke wasn't there, okay? And Acts, up until chapter 16, is compiled, again, from a third person perspective. Luke, he wasn't, he wasn't there. He wasn't a part of it. But now starting in 16, verse 10, it says, And when Paul had seen the vision, talking about the Macedonian call, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately, here's the key, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So at some point, okay, around this time, the author of Acts joined Paul and was with Paul. And in fact, was with Paul from this point forward all the way um, to Rome. Okay, so when we when we start stringing all of this together, right, we're, we're able to have from Scripture pretty solid evidence, um, especially with the, the the testimony of the early church fathers, that Luke was in fact the writer of this 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 book or this letter, if you will, to Theophilus. Think about Luke is this though? We don't know much about him. In fact, there's only three verses in the New Testament that, that even mention, um, mention him by name. We do know that Luke was a friend, a co-laborer, a traveling companion of Paul. Well, we see that in, in, second, um, in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.11. Paul says, actually, I'll, I'll read verses 9 through 11. He says, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Uh, uh, Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Here we go. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. So we know that that Luke was a, uh, a co-laborer, again, a friend, a, a companion, traveling companion of, of Paul. So so we know that about Luke, right? We know that Luke was a Felician. Uh, Felician. A physician, Colossians um, 4, Colossians 4.14 says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas, all right? So we know that he was a friend of Paul's, right? We know that he was a physician. Well, that's important because there's some things that we can know. Um, as a physician, most likely he was a former slave. Most physicians were, um, were slaves, or if they were freed men who were physicians, they were most likely or uh, 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 at one point slaves. All right. Also, Luke was a common slave name, so we're able to put the fact together that his name was Luke and that he was a physician. That most likely he was a, a slave. Okay. Now, as a physician, though, regardless of his status, uh, if he was once a slave or not a slave, he, he obviously would have been um, an educated. Uh, individual and, and even held some some social status. Now, so we know that about Luke. Here's what else we know: we know that um, uh, he was most likely an educated, even a highly educated uh, uh, Greek or Gentile individual. Now, the first four verses of of Acts. Now, we're not going to get this in our English translation, okay? But the first four for four verses of Acts use High Greek. Okay, it uses uh, a, a Greek language 
that only an educated individual would have used. It wasn't, wasn't common. And then after the first four verses, he, he switches into what we would say common, common Greek. Okay? And so from those first four verses, we can say, hey, listen, I mean, as a physician, he was obviously educated, and, and we, we know it for sure in these first four verses just by the language that he uses, right? And the fact that he used this language indicates, right, that he was most likely a, a, a Gentile, um, a Greek individual, right? We know that Luke was, um, and this we pull from the text, um, though it doesn't say it specifically, um, we're able to draw it from it, that Luke was a historian and a theologian, right? Uh, his writings clearly demonstrate his ability as as a historian. We see it in the Gospel of Acts, right? I mean, listen, it is a gospel account or a gospel narrative, right? But it's a historical narrative as as well, okay? Um, and we see it in uh, we see that in the, sorry the Gospel of Luke. And we see it in Acts as as well. But Luke is equally a theologian. See, he wrote he wrote Acts from the perspective of, of faith, right? And he saw these historical events uh, events through this this lens or through this this framework of of faith. I mean, think about what he was trying to do, right? He wanted to give a history of, again, really the, the Great Commission fulfilled, the going out of the apostles and, and the disciples, right? And he wanted to give a history that was theologically and doctrinally accurate. Yeah, I, I was thinking about it in relation, relation to this, not, not relating to me as, as being a theologian, right? But the reality is, is this. As a believer, okay, now, different, different levels and different stages, okay? But as a believer, we should all be theologians in process. You get that, right? As a believer, we should all be theologians in, pro- in progress. If, if as a believer, you don't have sound theological understanding of, of biblical truths, and you're not at least progressing in that regard, then we, then we have a problem, Right? Then, then there is a problem. So, so I have no problem saying that Luke was a theologian, right? He was a progressing theologian. We should all be progressing, progressing theologians. Now, now, I don't know if any of us are professional theologians and that we get, get earn a living from, uh, uh, you know, our, our study and, and execution of, of theology, right? But we should all be theologians. But I, I was thinking about it in regards to this. If you were to ask me... Um, uh, Tell me about the conference. Let's say I, I went to the Shepherds Conference out in uh, California, and uh, and I was going to tell you about this pastors conference that I went to, you know. And I said, okay, oh, it was great. We got there, and at ten o'clock, John MacArthur got up and he preached, and then at, at eleven o'clock, Steve Lawson got up and he preached, and then at noon we ate lunch, and then at one o'clock, um, Vodie Bauckham got up and preached, and then then at two o'clock, uh, John MacArthur got up and preached again, and then we left and went and ate dinner, right? I mean, that, that's a history. I just gave you an accurate history of what happened, right? But as a theologian, you know, the, the pastor in me, the believer in me, the, the whatever, right, like Luke, what I would want to relate to you historically is what they preached about. Like, oh, it was great. At nine, uh, MacArthur got up and preached, right? And when he started to preach, he started talking about 
the, the lordship of Jesus, how Jesus isn't just, you know, savior, but he's also lord over believers' lives. And he was talking about what that looks like in the believers' lives. And he, and he related it to this, and he used this scripture, and he talked about it that, right? And then, you know, Steve Lawson got up, and he talked about the importance of, of um, you know, studying scripture from a historical, contextual perspective. And he talked about, you know, and so what I would do is I would try to convey to you, right, theologically, doctrinally accurate information of what they said. Well, that takes theological and doctrinal understanding on my part in order to relay that to you. So Luke and Acts, it is a, uh, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. It's a historical narrative, right? But he's not just simply trying to relay historical facts in this text, right? He's, he's trying to tell us something about uh, what happened um, in regards to theology, in regards to doctrine. We in part see that, and we're going to see that through some of these incredible, incredible sermons that that are preached in Acts, right? So he's trying to convey something, right, which shows us his theological and uh, doctrinal understanding. So Lee, uh, Luke, uh, yes, right, definitely historian, definitely theologian. Now, concerning, and we're going to look more at this next week, but concerning that, when did he write this letter, right? Again, we said that he wasn't there. Okay, so or this book, whatever you want to call it, he he, he wasn't there um, the entire time. So he joined Paul somewhere. Again, we say around verse 16. We can actually look and get a kind of a date time on that if we want to. But he joined Paul somewhere along the road. So he acquired most of this information, you know, a second hand. Right. Um, so when did he actually write this letter to, to, to Theophilus? You know, some are going to say it was early 60s. Um, you know, 62 to 64, and you know they base the dating for an early uh, an early writing on the fact that the letter ends rather abruptly. It says Paul made it to Rome, ministered there for two years, and that's that's the end of end of the letter, right? Um, uh, nothing mentioned after that. Nothing about uh, uh, Paul coming back, doing a little bit because he was during uh, Paul was in house arrest during those first two years, and nothing about Paul ministering after that because he was released a little bit, came back in prison again. Nothing about Paul's death. Nothing about uh, Nero's persecution of believers. Nothing about the fall of of Jerusalem um, that happened in seventy. You know, none of that is mentioned because none of that's mentioned. And Acts just ends abruptly. Luke had to have written it in, in the early sixties. Then there's a mid-dating that say, hey, no, we believe that Luke wrote this this letter somewhere between 70 to 80 A.D. And the evidence that they would they would uh, use to hold to this later dating has to do with Luke's uh, reference and use of Mark and 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 and, uh, and writing his gospel account. All right, so Luke used others to write. Uh, the Gospel of Luke. We know he used Mark. It seems like Mark didn't write his Gospel account until later. So if you, Luke used Mark, then Luke would have had it been later because Acts was written after the Gospel of Luke, right? And so they lean towards a, a, a little bit later of a dating. Now, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't really matter um, with these these early er datings. There is there is one school that says, oh, it was written much later, but we just throw them out altogether, and I'm not even going to go there. But as far as these two are concerned. I think I could I could lean towards the validity of anywhere from 64 to 80 A.D. that that the letter was written. You know, concerning the abrupt ending, and this is really what I want to point out by this, concerning the abrupt ending of FX, because it does. When we get there in five years, right, we're going to see that it it just it just stops. Okay, um, here's why it stops. The purpose in writing was fulfilled. 
doesn't matter. I mean, you could say, well, um, it was this, it was that, it was Luke, it was... Listen, we know that God the Holy Spirit, right, used Luke and his talents and his abilities to write this, to write this letter, okay? The Holy Spirit was done after Paul's two years in Rome. That was it. So that's why it ends when it ends. Don't know if that's because Luke wrote it then. Maybe he died or was sick and was going to die. He wanted to get it. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit was done. The Holy Spirit had said what the Holy Spirit was going to say or wanted to be said in this letter. And so it ends at 62 AD because of that period. And, and furthermore, we're going to look kind of this next week, the very first of Acts. And we see this in Acts 1.8, and we'll look at it next week. But in Acts 1.8, Luke kind of gives, or what we see is kind of the, the, the purpose. And we're going to look at some themes in a few minutes, but we kind of see the purpose of his writing, right, as the gospel goes forward. And we're going to see that come to fruition at the very end. And so I, I think it stops there, and it appropriately stops there, because his purpose in writing was fulfilled again. And so that's why it ends when it ends. So regardless of when it was written, hey, I'm good with 64, 62, all the way up to 80. We know it ends when it ends, because that's when the Holy Spirit was done. Okay, so what I want to do is uh, um, I'm going to end by, by looking at the genre just real quick, and then we're going to talk about some purposes and themes, and then we'll be finished. Um, again, we said it's a historical narrative, right? It chronicles, very important, the apostles and early disciples, again, as they go ye therefore. A timing for, for, uh, uh, for Acts, 29 AD. You know Jesus was crucified right about 29 AD, okay? He was 33 years old. A.D. in the year of our Lord, right? Jesus was actually born about three years um, uh, uh, prior to the the zero A.D. mark, if you will. So Jesus was born in about three B.C. Okay, so that would put an approximate dating for his crucifixion in about 29 A.D. So just kind of an interesting interesting tidbit. So Acts actually picks up. In 29 A.D., and it takes us all the way through 62 A.D. One of the things I have on the back over there, which if, if you want, I highly recommend to pick up. It's actually a timeline of Acts. What I've done is I've dated, and it specifically centers around Paul's ministry. The reality is this. is All right, so we've got Acts, historical narrative from 29 A.D. all the way to 62 A.D., right? It's the, the church, the, the apostles, the disciples going ye therefore. Listen. Acts, Acts is a biography of Paul. I mean, it really is. It's one way to look at it, okay? We have a biography of Paul from his conversion all the way up to a couple years prior to his, his martyrdom. And so what I've done is I, I made kind of a, a, um, a typed up a sheet back there that starts at 2980, actually goes all the way to 67, um, even though Acts stops in 62. And it's really just a timeline of Paul's ministry that we have in Acts. So we can even use this to put in. We can even use this to put in Colossians, where Randy's at. When was Paul on that missionary journey? Uh, when did he spend time there? When did you know? Uh, when did he wrote, write? Sorry, when did he write um, Colossians? And he actually wrote Colossians uh, when he first got to Rome, right? So we're dealing with that time. puts it kind of into perspective. So if you want, I would grab one back there. Next week, I'm also going to um, give you an outline of Acts as well. It's not going to be a preaching outline. 
but it's just an outline in your Bible. You might have an outline. I have an outline that I like, and so I'm going to put an outline that just kind of goes through the entirety of the text. Um, it's two pages long, so you can kind of just look at it real quick, and because we're dealing with a historical narrative, it kind of gives you a chronological idea of what's going to happen and where that's going to happen at. So I'll have that next week, but there is a kind of a history sheet or a history timeline in the back. Um, okay, there's uh, I think eight or so, nine, eight, ten, something like that, purposes, themes that, that I'm going to just briefly mention, and we'll see these kind of come through as we study Acts now. There's probably more than this in Acts. These are kind of the ones that stand out to me. And so this is really going to set the stage, I think, uh, concerning what we're going to be looking at over the next several years and what we're going to be dealing with. You know, in Acts, I'm sorry, in Luke, I'm going to confuse them all because Luke wrote Acts and Acts and Luke and they're the both books. And But in um, the Gospel of Luke, Luke says why he writes it, right? Basically, he says, I, I want to I firm up what you've been taught, right? I want to shore up your faith or your, your uh, uh, Christianity, right? Um, again, we see that the very first of Luke, just to give you that idea. Uh, he says, um, back in Luke chapter 1, seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely, um, Sometime past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Why? That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Right. So Luke's purpose in, in writing this gospel account to Theophilus, which we know is God writing it to us, right, is that we might have certainty of the things that we have have been taught. Okay. Uh, you know, when it comes to Acts, we can't sum up the purpose in, in in such a concise statement. And so I think the best thing to do is to kind of give you these themes that we're going to see in Acts. So the first one is this. It's world missions. Okay, And again, we're going to look at that in more detail uh, next week because I, I would say I think that might be, I probably would say this about most, but one of the overarching themes is world missions. Again, what do we see? We see the, the apostles going ye therefore. That's world missions. What do we usually do when we talk about missions? We talk about the Great Commission, don't we? So we see world missions. We'll look at that next week. We see the providence of God. Listen, the mission of the church and the lives of believers are under direct control of God. I mean, that's true for us here now, for, for believers past, believers present, believers future, right? In Acts, we clearly see God constantly working to provide and care for the church. So we see the providence of God in Acts, okay? We see the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, we call this, this book Acts, which is really shortened, for the Acts of the Apostles, all right? So Acts is just a shortened title for the uh, shortened title for the Acts of the Apostles, and I've read it suggested, and, and I would tend to agree that the more appropriate title for this book would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And Acts, we clearly see the power and working of the Holy Spirit as He leads and directs the church and gospel missions. And next week's uh, text that we're going to look at concerning the ascension and Christ's promise, if you will, um, uh, uh, as, as Luke records it um, for the ascension, as he promises, again, the coming Holy Spirit. And then in probably, if not January, February, we're going to get to the actual day of Pentecost, right? Um, and so we're going to examine, you know, uh, what that what happened uh, in the coming of the Holy Spirit and the baptism. What is baptism in the Holy Spirit? What is being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? So we're going to examine that. And then from that point on in Acts, we see the working 
of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the apostles, in the lives of the disciples, and in the lives of the first century church. So again, we're going to see this, the power of the Holy Spirit, the working of the Holy Spirit in interacts. Another theme is restored Israel. Is it national Israel? See if I can explain this um, in a way that makes sense. National Israel failed in its role and relationship for foreign to God. All right? Nation, national Israel was was God's people. They were to nationally um, represent um, God to the world around them. Right, um, and, and they were to represent God to the world around them, that that they would in part be witnesses um, to His grace and mercy, that the world around them would would repent and believe. Even in the Old Testament, that was that was that was the purpose. Okay, that was Israel's role. That was Israel's responsibility, and and national Israel failed in that. Now, there's always been a remnant. Of uh, from the very beginning, there's always been a, a remnant of ethnic Jews who are are true believers. Okay, and so so when we talk about national Israel, we we have to separate out the remnant of ethnic ethnic Jews or ethnic Israelites. Okay, that are true believers, and those who are ethnic Jews who who are no more God's people than Joe Blow walking down the street and and Ada. Okay. So, so national Israel failed. Okay, now the the church, true believers from all cultures and backgrounds, right? So ethnic Jews, right? I mean, we have ethnic Jews that are true believers. And I think about this, and I think about like Jewish. We would say Jewish Christians, right? When I when I use the term Jewish Christians, I'm talking about people who are ethnically Jews, not religiously Jews, because there's really I don't know if you can have. I don't think you can. You can't have. You can't have. Religious Jews who are Christians. It's not possible. So when we say Jewish Christians, we're talking about ethnic Jews. That would be like saying um, uh, American Christians, right? Or Irish Christians or Russian Christians. I mean, they're ethnically, culturally this, and they are, they are believers, okay? Um, it's like Muslim Christians. There are Muslim Christians, right? There's, there's, there's not. Okay, there's not Islamic Christians. You have men who are uh, 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 Arabic or Arabian or whatever Arabs, Arab Christians. Yes, you have Arab Christians. Okay, um, but you don't have Muslim Christians because that's a that's a religious system, just as as Judaism is a religious system. Okay, so back to restored Israel, the true church or the church, true believers from all cultures and backgrounds, has replaced Israel and its role and relationship with within to God, okay? And, and I say that. I'm, I'm talking about a practical replacing. Listen, um, I'm not, um, I, don't, I don't say that right now. I'm not going to get into it, but I'm not saying that to say that, that there's no significance with, with Israel and that's it. There, there is done is done. I think there's still significance with Israel, okay? I still think there are still promises uh, 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 to be fulfilled, okay? Um, but concerning, I'm talking role and relationship, Right? There's still a remnant that God is going to save. Okay. But national Israel doesn't represent God. Okay. National Israel doesn't have that special relationship with God. That's that's the church. Okay. So it's in that regards that I say in Acts we see this um 
restored Israel, maybe a realized Israel. So the restored Israel or the realized Israel is, is the church. It's the true people of God being brought together, right? And the true people of God from all, from all nationalities, right? From all ethnic groups. So we see that happening in Acts as the gospel goes forward, right? Judea, Sumeria, to the ends of the world, Rome, okay? Um, we also see, and this kind of feeds off of the restored Israel, I think, in part, is an inclusive gospel. Listen, the gospel isn't only for Jews, right? It's for Gentiles. It's for all people. Now, we have Jesus, all right, who's having this conversation with Nicodemus. Um, we have it recorded in John 3.16. We're all familiar with that, right? We should be familiar with that. And Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he tells Nicodemus, um, you know, he says, God loves the world, right? And when he tells Nicodemus that God loves the world, right? We know this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Here's what God's telling Nicodemus. He's saying, Nicodemus, um, God doesn't just love the Jews. Now, we see this in the Old Testament, right? Because God saves uh, 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 pagans and Gentiles and non-Jews in the Old Testament. Okay, so we see this in the Old Testament, right? But this was kind of lost on the Jewish people coming into, to, you know, um, well, coming into uh, the time of Christ, okay? But Jesus is telling Nicodemus, he's like, God doesn't simply and only just love the Jews, right? God God loves God loves all people. He loves he loves Jews, right? And he loves pagans. He loves he loves Gentiles. He loves Samaritans. He loves Romans. He loves for God so loves humanity, right? And he loves all these all these people so much that that he sent me, right, to die for them, that if they believe in me they'll have eternal life. Okay, so what do we have? We have the inclusiveness. I'm sorry. We have the inclusiveness of the gospel. It's not exclusive for Jews only. And we see that in part of the realized Israel, right? And we talk about the church, right? The church isn't, I mean, I think sometimes when we think of the church, we think of, you know, our culture, Americans. You mean you can be in the church and not be an American, right? We start to see things through our eyes, right? And through the, the lens of a Western Christianity, right? Um, but that's not the case. Right? The church and the true church is made up of people from all different ethnic and even previous right, religious, false religious, pagan backgrounds. God saves Jews. God saves pagans. God saves Americans. God saves atheists. God saves Muslims. God saves people who are former uh, uh, Wiccans, right? That God loves all of these people and God will save people from all of these various places and backgrounds. The gospel is inclusive. That's awesome. We see it and we see it going going forward, right? Starting in Jerusalem, we see it going forward to the ends of the world, which is, which is uh, idealized by Rome. And we see that happening um, through Acts, which is exciting to watch. Okay. Other thing, we've got three more we'll look at. The faithful witness of the church in Acts, 
we see that the, the true disciples, right, genuine believers are faithful witnesses of and for Christ. And, and we see this primarily through persecution. Right? And we're going to see it through, um, through the persecution of, of Stephen. Right? We're going to see it, persecution in Jerusalem that, that actually sent out um, uh, the early disciples. Right? They were forced out of Jerusalem. Right? We see it through Stephen. We, we see it through Paul and through Peter and others in Acts as, as they were persecuted. We see the faithful witness of the church. That is, the church, the true church, will stand firm and will remain faithful as persecution um, is placed upon it. And, and we can be, you know, in our, just in a way that we would apply that to us, I mean, that's something that, that gives us hope and gives us confidence. That as we see persecution mounting in, in places around the world, even in our country, right, which is nothing here compared to other places. But regardless, as we see persecution increase, we can be confident because of the, uh, the testimony that we have in Acts. We can be confident that the true church will remain faithful. So one of the other things in Acts, um, the Christian's relationship to the world. We primarily see this in, in how the Apostle Paul worked within the Roman system of, of government. So Paul was not, and we'll, we'll get more into this, right? But he wasn't just a Jew, was he? Paul was a Roman citizen, right? And as a Roman citizen, he had certain unalienable, unalienable as we would say, unalienable rights. He had rights that, that, that Jews and Jewish citizens only did not have, Okay. And Paul rightfully used those rights as a Roman citizen for the advancement of the gospel. So he he legally and in a morally upright way took advantage of of his Roman citizenship to see the gospel go forward. So we see in part how he worked within that system of government for the the good of the church, for the good of the gospel, for the glory of, of God. So the final, we're going to end on, on this today. Again, I know it was a different day. It really wasn't preaching kind of a history lecture. And I'm, in one regards, I'm sorry for that, but we've got to do it. It's important if we're going to, if we're going to go through Acts properly and appropriately. Um, finally, um, and, and, and we're going to talk more about the first one, World Missions, and this one next week, um, is the triumph of the gospel. Um, and so we said that we, we call it Acts, right, which is short for Acts of the Apostles. I said earlier that um, Acts of the Holy Spirit might be a more appropriate title. Um, then I kind of I came up with this. So I think here's probably the, the most appropriate title for, for Luke's uh, uh, book, letter, whatever we want to call it. It was a book. He called it a book, but it was he wrote it in letter format. So here we go. The Acts of the Holy Spirit and the Triumph of the Gospel. Okay. I think that properly summarizes um, Luke's writing. Throughout Acts, we're going to see God convert soul after soul as the message of this glorious gospel spreads throughout the world. It starts starts as a tiny little flame, if you will, in in Jerusalem, right? Uh, burning dimly, but yet yet burning. Okay. And throughout Acts, we have this, this flame spreading into a fire, right? 
that spreads throughout the, the, the Jewish world ultimately spreads to the Roman world, which was the, the center of the world, if you will. And then from there, it goes out, right? Why do we have the gospel today, um, here and now? We have it because those first disciples and because those apostles were faithful to go ye therefore, right? Judea, Sumeria, and the entire world. So, so that's where it began, right? The gospel that, that came to you, right, began in Jerusalem. And we're going to start with that next week, and we're going to see where it began, and we're going to see how it begins to spread. Let's pray, and let's pray that, that God would, would give us just a, a, a hunger, one, for his word, to study his word, right, um, and to be excited uh, about it. I'm excited to go through Acts. Again, part of that's the history nerd in me just because I like it. But, but it is exciting, and it should be exciting for us as a church to see how here we have Christ, and here, here he is ascending, and he's, and he's making a promise. Well, he gives this command, one, in the Gospels, to go ye therefore, right? And then he really gives, us, give, gives them this promise that we're going to see here next week. He gives them this promise that they are, in fact, going to go. Right, and as they go, the gospel's going to spread Jerusalem, uh, Samaria, and beyond to the entire world. Right, and so I, I find that exciting because that's what brought the gospel to us. Right, and so let's just pray that God would give us this hunger and this thirst for His Word, that He would give us this excitement for His Word as we study it, that we would praise Him, that we would glorify Him, that we would seek to apply it to our lives, but that we wouldn't just keep it to us. What if the Apostle Paul would have just kept it to him? right? You know, well, God would have used someone else and he would have, right? But, right, we're grateful that, that he didn't, and we're grateful that God used these men and their talents and their abilities and their zeal for him. He, he used them to go. And, and in part, their going was instrumental um, in us receiving the gospel today, right? So let's pray that God would do those things. Father, we love you, and we do thank you for your word and what you do um, in it and with it. Uh, one, I, I mean, it is your self-revelation. You reveal who you are to us. Uh, the Bible's not about us. It's, it's about you primarily. And so we praise you and we thank you. Um, thank you for that. Um, though it is primarily about you, we do know that it does reveal stuff about us in it as well. And we know that you, you also use it um, for our good, and, and for that we're grateful. And for that, we do thank you, Lord. I, I do pray, God, that as we really begin next week our, our study of Acts, I pray that you would just give us um, a hunger and, and a thirst, ultimately for you. I mean, I say for your word. I, I, I do want us to have a hunger and a thirst for your word. But really, that should just be because we have a, a desire for you. And so I pray that you would just give us a desire to, to know you more, um, that we would have a desire to, to love you more, to live for you more, and that we wouldn't just keep that, um, we wouldn't just keep that to us, to ourselves, because it's, it's not, you are not um, ours to keep but to share, to proclaim to the world around us. And so I pray that as we see 
over the next several years, <laughs> the apostles and the first disciples going out, proclaiming the glorious gospel. I pray that we would be motivated and empowered to do the same and that you would continue to save and that you would continue to sanctify first and foremost for your glory and also for the good of all whom you will and have saved. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. It's in your precious and holy name.